Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Good evening, Coach Roberts. Hello, Coach Larry. Tell me about your day. Well, where to start? I have switched gears a little bit in the training because I need to incorporate some heels into my training. So I dropped the Monteghetti workout today and went to a hilly neighborhood near our house and just did some loops. So my legs felt good and I just took it kind of easy. So that was nice. But right now I'm just relaxing in my relaxing chair. With your Australian accent? (laughs) I read that a lot of little kids are developing an Australian accent. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Have any idea why? It must be the Disney show Bluey. Bluey! <laughs> it's amazing what you learn when your children are little. When our children were little, thankfully, our children were little before the Wiggles era, but we did hit the Barney phase. We did, and I must say that Bluey is a lot more entertaining for adults than Barney was. Yes, I don't have the television on a whole lot when we're keeping sweet baby Ellie Ann, but occasionally in the afternoon when we're winding down and had a big day, I'll just have her sit in my lap and give her her little afternoon snack and we just snuggle. And at first it was always cocoa melon, which she loves, (laughs) but it gets old really quickly. But Bluey, on the other hand, she loves it as well, but I don't think she gets all the humor in it. I like the episode where Bluey's sister Bingo wants to have the family dance. And the theme is dance like nobody's watching. And the dad, he's got moves. <laughs> dance like nobody's watching. Even though there was a lot of people watching. Yeah. It's funny. Cute little show. So I also went to see mom today. So she's uh, doing pretty well. All things considered, I think most of our athletes and listeners know she suffers with an incredibly difficult disease of Alzheimer's, but she seems very content, and it was actually pretty pleasant hanging out with her today. Great. I'm glad you had a good time. Yeah. And Bethany was here this afternoon, so that was nice. Jacob called to give me a hard time for a little bit today, just, you know, for fun. We always banter back and forth when he calls me. What was he giving you a hard time about? Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. We're not going there. <laughs> All right. Nothing important. Well, I'll tell you about my day. So I got up and ran early this morning as well, and it's really hot in Kentucky right now. But I incorporated a few hills this morning as well. You and I talked before we each took off, and I picked a different route that had longer, less intense hills. And did you head for a hook? I did. <laughs> I thought about that. And then I turned around at a really busy intersection and 
came all the way back down to where it was flat again. And then I turned around and went up towards Hucks one more time. It was good. I had a, a good run. I've been gradually increasing my miles coming off of an injury. And I'm just thankful to be able to run right now. It's a blessing. Yeah. And sometimes our athletes are, you know, they go through highs and lows and they're struggling to get out the door. And a lot of times they'll text or, you know, ask, what motivates you? Like when you're not feeling like running, what motivates you to run? And I just always go back in my mind to back in 2013 when I broke my femur and I really couldn't run for a long time. So now it's every day that I can run is a gift. And if you keep that in mind, you really want to go out and utilize that gift. Yeah. And when we were on our family vacation in July, I'm not sure what happened, but I ended up hurting a shoulder. And so I wasn't able to swim for a while. And that's finally better. So it was a blessing this week to be back in the pool. And it's just easy to take for granted when our body is cooperating. But we recognize how much we miss our exercise when our body is not cooperating. Yeah. And I think a lot of people think that as coaches, we just sit at the computer and stare at data and based on the data, create the next meaningful workout for our athletes. And yes, we do that. And we pay attention to the data and create workouts to match how each athlete is performing. But it's so much more than that because we get to know our athletes and we know what's going on in their lives. And, you know, like today we've celebrated the fact that one of our athletes has a new baby boy. Very exciting. And then we have another athlete who's fighting a fever right now. And so, you know, every day we get uh, feedback from our athletes and interaction with our athletes. And some of it's really great and celebrating things with them. And sometimes we just kind of have to work with them through the tough times. And I think that's the beauty of it is it gives them another outlet and they don't have to worry about what their workouts need to look like. Like we can help figure all that out and fit it into what they need. But more importantly, we can pray for them and just let them know there's somebody out there that cares. So I enjoy that aspect of it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a math geek. I enjoy the data and putting together workouts and building plans that make sense. But It's also nice to build that relationship and build that support. And, you know, our athletes are awesome. Many of them have reached out to us this week asking how Ellie Annie is. You know, she was in the hospital last weekend, and I really think she got a miracle. She just Mm -hmm. turned around very quickly. So, anyway, our little community is pretty awesome. Yes, it is. And and our God is awesome. So, after my run today, I, I spent the day working. So before and after my run today, I did my physical therapy exercises, and it's just so important, even when your body is cooperating, to continue doing those extra steps that helped you recover from an injury or that's going to help prevent the next injury. Yeah, and with our athletes, we put those activities in their training peaks as well and ask them to mark it as complete because we want our athletes to be proactive as well in staying healthy. And sometimes they do their physical therapy or their foam rolling or their strength training 
and then just forget to mark it as complete. But if we start seeing a lot of red in those areas, we do ask. <laughs> we do. We try to hold our athletes accountable to doing all the things they need. We really like to see green in training peaks. That means the workout was completed as planned. Yeah. And sometimes when we see yellow, it's the smartest thing the athlete could have done because, you know, they may have gotten up and just had so much other stress that they needed to cut it short. Or if it's more of a dark orange, maybe they were feeling awesome and did a little bit more. We like them to be able to make some judgment calls from time to time. As long as they don't get too far off the plan on the high end. So we don't want them digging a hoe or striking a match too early. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So do you mind if we talk about the Olympics again? I mean, we've talked about the Olympics for like the last 92 podcasts now, so we might as well wait. We don't have that many podcasts yet. Not yet. We're getting there. Yeah, so maybe half our podcast will reference the Olympics. Go for it. They only come around every four years for running and cycling type events. Or five if you have the COVID. I guess it'll be three till the next time. That's right. So I don't think we've really discussed the cycling events in the Olympics. We've talked about the triathlon some, and we've talked about some of the running events. And we've definitely talked about some swimming. Yes, we did. So in the cycling, in the men's road race, which was 145 miles, Richard Carapaz of Ecuador won the race. And then one of my favorite riders, Primos Roglic, won the Time trial, which was a 14-mile race, really short race. Why is he one of your favorite riders? You know, I don't have any explanation for that. It's kind of like the Dallas Cowboys being my favorite team since I was two years old. and Yeah. My dad just couldn't believe it. There's no explanation. Yeah. So, I guess Primus Roglic really came on the scene as a top cyclist last year, maybe the year before, and... Just without really doing any research, I just made a prediction that Primoz Roglic was going to win the Tour de France, which he did not. But Did you make that prediction based on the color of his bicycle? or <laughs> I don't know where it came from. It was a good pick, though. Man, I say that because I have a lot of friends who aren't into sports maybe as much as I am. So if we're filling out a March Madness bracket for example in college basketball they may just pick a team based on they like the blue uniform better than the green uniform (laughs) everybody has their own strategy (laughs) anyway i think primos roglic's demeanor is part of what made me want to root for him real even very quiet which is totally opposite of one of my other favorite riders i was gonna say peter's gone i was gonna say yeah Anyway, on the women's side, in the road race, which was half the distance of the men's, it was 78 miles roughly, Austria's Anna Kaisenhofer got a gap on the rest of the riders, and the in the Olympics, there's it's not really a team event in the cycling. So there wasn't a team car, there wasn't race radios. So as the story goes, some of the rest of the contenders lost track of the fact that somebody 
was ahead in the race, and Kaisenhofer went on to win by over a minute. But the second place rider, who thought she had won, Annemiek van Vooten from the Netherlands, I hope I pronounced that pretty close, she redeemed herself in the women's time trial, coming in first place. But I also want to talk about some unusual events that you may not have heard of before. That were in the Olympics? In the Olympics. Okay. And these are indoor cycling events. Have you heard of the Omnium? Other than just me and you talking about it before the podcast? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> All right. I thought that was a trick question for a minute there. No, it wasn't a trick question. <laughs> All right. So the Omnium is an unusual race. It consists of four separate races, all contested on the same day. It, there's the scratch race, which is just your uh, typical kind of race to see who gets to the finish line first. And the riders get points based on how they finish in the race. And the objective is to be the person at the end of the four events with the most points. The second race is the tempo race. And it's unique in that, and again, this is around the velodrome. After the first five laps, then the rider who finishes a lap first gets an extra point. And then if you break away from the rest of the riders and can lap the riders, then you get an extra 20 points. And then there's the elimination race. And in this race, after every second lap, the person in last place is eliminated. We used to do that in track practice when I was a middle school track coach, not the cross country coach, but when I was middle school track coach, like my second year of teaching we would have all the kids run a lap around the track, so, you know, roughly 400 meters. And whoever was last dropped out. And so it really taught the kids in the longer distance events to think about pacing because it didn't do them any good to get first place on those first few laps. So it really got them thinking about how hard to go out. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great workout for teaching that. Mm -hmm. And then the final race is the points race. And this is a, a longer race on the velodrome. The men cover 25 kilometers and the women cover 20. And as in the tempo race, there are intermediate sprints where you can gain points. And if you end up lapping the field, you can get additional points. Right, and the difference being the tempo race, the men do 10 kilometers and the women do seven and a half kilometers. Yeah, so quite a bit shorter, more of an endurance race. But you get points for each of those four races, and then whoever has the most points at the end is your winner. Interesting, just really different concept. And there's another unique cycling event on the indoor velodrome. That's the Madison, and it's a, a team event where each team has two riders and it's kind of like a relay and it's 50 kilometers for the men and 30 kilometers for the women and there are intermediate sprints every 10 laps and only one team member is racing but the the other team member is just kind of coasting around the the upper edge of the velodrome and then when they decide they want to tag out or tag in the riders come up against each other 
and the one that is tagging out grabs the hand of the one that's tagging in and does the best he or she can do to slingshot the person forward to give them a, a little bit of a boost. I can only imagine what that would look like if you and I were riding around this indoor banked track and I grabbed your hand on a bike to sling you around. At say 30 miles an hour, in a crowd. I'm pretty sure we'd both end up with a road rash. Even though the velodromes probably wouldn't. Splinters? Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Either way. It's going to hurt. We're going to fall. And we don't want to fall. So an interesting race. And again, there are intermediate sprints. And there are additional points earned for lapping the rest of the field. And then there's extra points for being the first team across the finish line. (laughs) So, a tangent. There's this couple on YouTube. I can't think of their name right now, but people follow them. And they're always trying to recreate and try to do silly things like the great towel challenge or piggyback challenges. Like, I mean, they're just funny. I think we need to submit to them this bike slingshot thing. Mm. Yeah. They they uh, laugh a lot together. I think they find themselves way more funny <laughs> than I find them, but I don't know. I'm talking about them, so I must think they're kind of funny. Speaking of challenges, there was a notification on my phone about the milk crate challenge. Do you know anything about the milk crate challenge? I don't know anything about it, but I saw some dude walking up stacks like a stack of two and then to a stack of three and then to a stack of four he was walking up milk crates that cannot be very stable the higher you get is this what you're talking about i didn't click on it oh i'm just asking oh well there you go there's your but that's what we're gonna go with that sounds sufficiently dangerous yeah see you don't need google you've got me i've got you <laughs> i've got oh, you boy. babe i knew that was coming <laughs> All right, so since we're on the topic of cycling, there's one other race I wanted to mention, and that has nothing to do with the Olympics, but the Vuelta a España is going on. Another 21-day stage race, just like the Tour, but it takes place in Spain. It's exciting times. Oh, boy. Let me guess. There's a breakaway, and then the peloton swallows up the breakaway, and somebody from the peloton wins. You just never know. Stage one. Stage but, two. There's a breakaway. <laughs> but on stage one, which was an individual time trial, Primoz Roglic came out on top. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I'm several days behind on my okay. watching. So if somebody's getting a spoiled ending right now, they're way behind. They're way behind. They catch up, people. Yeah. <laughs> Something else I want to talk about was the announcement and YouTube video that Tim O'Donnell put out revealing that he had a heart attack during Challenge Miami back in March. Yeah, and this was just recently released because I think people were like, where is he? Why isn't he racing? Well, now we know. Now we know. And it seems like he's doing really well. He's recovering. And hopefully he'll be back to his professional form soon, if he's not already. Um, But that was part of the reason why I wanted to bring up Tim O'Donnell. But the second part was his wife, Miranda Carfrey, which is often referred to as Rennie. (laughs) 
if you read about her online. I mean, I don't know her personally. <laughs> Go on. But she had taken a little bit of time off of professional triathlon so that she and Tim could have some children. And they had their second child, Finn. But she has regained her fitness and competed in Ironman 70.3 Timberman and did really well, finishing second overall. But it's just a, amazing that women can choose to take some time away from their career to have a family and come back and reach that same level of fitness and success. Yeah, and you saw those backstories throughout the Olympics with track and field runners and with softball players, and there were several moms of young children out there competing, contending as top athletes in the world. It's awesome. So, listeners, if you are considering having children and are worried about your ability to perform in athletics in the future, there's uh, nothing holding you back. All right, so another recent event that I wanted to talk about, we're covering a lot of events today, (laughs) is the Escape from Alcatraz Triathlon. Did you watch that movie, Escape from Alcatraz? With Sean Connery? Mm Mm-hmm. That was a pretty good movie. It was intense, I thought. Yeah, I liked it. So we're showing our age. But I'm assuming Escape from Alcatraz, you actually start on the island where that prison is. Well, let me tell you about it. And that prison's no longer open, right? It's not used for prisoners. I believe it's a museum now. Oh, okay. I think you can take tours. No, no thanks. (laughs) I think it would be really interesting. Yeah. But the Escape from Alcatraz Triathlon just recently occurred, and it's a unique event. The distances are, you got a 1.5 mile swim. Is that in California? San Francisco. Okay. Alcatraz is in the San Francisco Bay. Oh, so you can see the Golden Gate Bridge if you look one way, and you see Alcatraz if you look the other. You run across the Golden Gate Bridge, haven't I, you? I did. So did you see Alcatraz? I did. Okay, there you go. Through the fog over the bay. But the way this race starts is the triathletes load up onto a boat, maybe more than one boat. I don't know. I haven't been there. The boat takes them across the bay to Alcatraz, which is on a rock in the middle of the bay. And then when they fire the gun, the athletes jump off the boat into the bay. And it's August, even in August in San Francisco. So they don't actually start from the island? No. Well, that's disappointing. I was thinking escape from Alcatraz. They ought to start in a sail mm. in the Museum of Alcatraz and then trek out to the water and swim. You think so? Mm. But the water is really cold. It's typically in the 50s or 60s. I'm going to say that's wetsuit legal. It is. <laughs> and it's probably a good idea to wear a wetsuit hood as well to keep your head warm. I don't know what the temperature was when I did the Rev three triathlon in Knoxville, Tennessee a few years ago, but I did the practice swim the day before and my dad was with me. It was a, it was a guy trip and we were actually on our way to visit Bethany who was living out of town at the time. We stopped halfway so I could do a triathlon, but on the practice swim, I was in my wetsuit, but I did not have a hood and 
it was challenging being in cold water. I don't remember what month it was, but I got a headache on the practice swim, and I was really worried about jumping in the water for the race the next day, but it worked out. I had no trouble the next day, but I doubt the water was in the 50s, 50s or 60s. That's downright chilly. But not only is the water cold, but it's choppy waves, salt water, fog, just a, a lot of challenges in the water. And then once you finish the swim, you are on the beach in San Francisco. And it's a pretty good run along the beach in your bare feet to get to the bike transition. And then the bike ride is 18 miles. How long was the swim, did you already say? It was a mile and a half. But if you've ever been to San Francisco, you know that it is hilly. And if you've seen the TV commercials of the trolley cars going up and down the hills. But yes, 18 miles of hills in San Francisco. And then on the run, it's an eight-mile run, but there's something unique about it. There's a set of stairs taking you from a, a beach area to the top of a hill. I don't know how many stairs it is. It's hundreds of stairs, and they're not evenly spaced like a set of stairs in your house, uh, made up of lumber and sand and uh, railing and, and ropes along the side. But at this point in the race, after the 1.5-mile swim and the 18-mile bike, it's going to be tough climbing hundreds of stairs. But anyway, an interesting race. We may have to go out there and do that one sometime. Only if they let me escape from the cell, you know, the jail cell. We could see if we could take a tour the day before. <laughs> what What made you think of this race right now? It just recently occurred. Okay, so it's... I a, saw it in the news. So it's an August event. Yes, yes. We'll sign you up for that one for 2022. Maybe so. <laughs> the only problem I have with a, long, a triathlon that is a long distance away is transporting the bicycle. It is a pain. Yes. I think in the future when we travel to a triathlon that requires flying, I'm going to use bike transport to take care of the bike. Yeah, I feel like that was the biggest, other than losing the keys in the Walmart, I feel like getting your bike put back together correctly was the most stressful part of the Kona Ironman World Championship. Have we talked about me losing the keys before? I think we did in the, I don't know. I think we did when we talked about our follies, maybe. Probably so. It was a miracle that we found the keys days later at the Walmart. <laughs> it, to me, it's amazing that you recognized the key. It wasn't our key. It wasn't our condo. I'm not sure I could have gone through a big bucket of keys and even recognized the key. <laughs> But that's a whole nother story. Whole nother story. <laughs> One more race I wanted to talk about that just recently occurred was the Leadville 100. So we knew some people who had traveled out there to support an athlete or a couple of athletes from our area that were competing. But another really challenging, unique event. So there was a 4 a.m. start and a 30-hour time limit but there's cutoffs along the way, and it's an out-and-back route. But the race is all at elevation. The lowest elevation is 9,200 feet, 
and the highest is at Holt Pass, which is 12,600 feet. But it must be just up and down and up and down because over that 100 miles, there's 16,000 feet of gain. So when we are looking for fast marathons, we often look at elevation gain and the monumental marathon in Indianapolis over 26.2 miles, it may have like 100 feet of gain, just minuscule, like four feet per mile. Whereas this race has 160 feet of gain per mile. Serious climbing. That's why ultra runners often need to carry trekking poles. Help them get up those big hills and help them get down those crazy descents. But the winner this year finished in just over 16 hours and I believe this was his first 100-mile race. That's just hard to believe. Well, I saw a clip on it, which I didn't see a whole bunch of this, but I saw a clip of a guy they were interviewing saying at some turnaround, he passed some people who haven't made it to the turnaround yet, who are oh, experienced my. runners, and that motivated him to go faster. Whatever it takes to get motivated. And then on the women's side, the, the winner finished in around 21 hours. And I was tracking one of the local athletes, whose name is Chris, and I went to sleep on Saturday night, and I was doing the math in my head based on the pace he was running that he would be finishing up sometime on Sunday morning, and I was getting text message alerts as he crossed through each of the aid stations. But in the morning, I was noticing that time was passing and I wasn't getting an update. So I was thinking, oh, is he not going to make it to the last checkpoint before the finish, which is called May Queen, I believe. So I texted Suzanne, a friend of ours who was out there crewing, and she said that he had passed that checkpoint and was doing, doing great. So I was encouraged. But I wanted to bring up that point about tracking an athlete and the tracking system not being reliable. So I remember when you did your Ironman Louisville, I was tracking you on the bike and there was one timing mat on the course that wasn't working and I didn't know that until you got to the next checkpoint, the next timing mat. So I was panicked. Did you have a wreck? Did you have a flat tire? Did you get an injury? Did you get sick? I was panicked. Did the tornadic winds blow me off the road? (laughs) So sometimes tracking an athlete may be more stress than it's really worth, but it's great when it works. All right, so we've talked about a lot of different races. Uh, One more topic I'd like to cover before we conclude this podcast is how do you know when it's time to replace your running shoes? Me personally, I try to keep track of the miles on my shoes and replace them, retire them every 300 miles. But it's really going to be different depending on the type of shoe. So if you have the Nike Alpha Flies or the Vapor Flies or the Next Percent, it's going to be a much smaller number of miles. But sometimes your shoes aren't going to hold up for 300 miles, especially if you're a heavier runner. So something to think about if you start developing aches and pains, it might be a good time to change your shoes. Also, if the bottom of the shoe is showing significant wearing, if you pronate or supinate a lot, you could wear out one part of the shoe much more quickly than 
other parts of the shoe and you might want to replace those. Also, if the midsole loses its strength and, and collapses, that would certainly be a time to replace your shoes. And when I was young, so I've been running a long time, and I guess I was taught to be pretty frugal as a kid. Me and my mom used to look through trash cans and dumpsters for aluminum cans to recycle. And I remember having some Nike running shoes as a young child. I pronated quite a bit, and so the inside of my shoe would wear out quite a bit. And I decided rather than replace the shoes, I would just get shoe goo. Have you ever heard of shoe goo? Uh-huh. Yeah. And try to repair the shoe. And it worked okay for a little bitty guy like me that maybe weighed 50 pounds. But I would not recommend that for an adult. And the cost of a pair of shoes to me is much more affordable than the cost of a doctor's visit and the cost of the frustration of dealing with an injury. Yeah, and as an athlete, if you're getting a little unusual ache or pain, that's the first thing to do is put those shoes to the side and pull out a new pair of shoes or a different pair of shoes and see if that takes care of it. Because sometimes your body will let you know that you need new shoes. So you and I have quite the collection of shoes now so that we can rotate between shoes either daily or depending on the workout. So it's really important to have some way of tracking the miles on your shoes because it's not like it's much easier to track your miles on your shoes if you're wearing the same pair of shoes every day. Yeah, so 80% of my runs approximately are going to be my zone two easier effort runs and so I have one pair of shoes that I prefer to wear for that type of running so that's my default setting in Garmin Connect every time I run it automatically assigns that shoe to the run and then I have a pair of shoes that I prefer for my speed work so I just go in once or twice a week and make sure on my speed days I change that default shoe to my speed work shoe and so I feel like I track my mileage accurately so even if my shoes are still feeling good if I get to the maximum number of miles for that shoe I'll go ahead and replace them and I try to start breaking in another shoe before I retire an older shoe I don't like putting a ton of miles at once on a new pair of shoes a little bit at a time I like them to get used to me. Yeah. I know I have a a friend who, as long as I've known him, when he gets a new pair of shoes, he writes the date on them. And that's probably the only shoe he wears until he gets to another date and time and then he, he knows it's time to replace them. Whatever strategy works for you. Which makes me think of when is it time to replace the tires on your triathlon bike or your road bike. Now, my strategy has always been three or four weeks before your big race, go ahead and get them changed so that you have a fresh pair of tires and you've had plenty of time to address any issues with the installation of the tires. But then also, obviously, if you notice wear on the tire that is going to prevent you from having appropriate traction or if you see threads coming off the tire it's a good idea to go ahead and replace those as well yeah if you have a good bike mechanic 
if you take your bike in a few days before your big race and ask to get all the things done to it, that bike mechanic's going to go, mm, no. <laughs> That's a bad idea. Yeah. Do it with plenty of time so that you can work out any kinks. And that was something that we experienced when we were in Hawaii for Kona. I reassembled my Cervelo, and it, it rode okay, but it there was just something not right. And we made four or five trips to the bike shop in the week leading up to the race to try to correct all the issues. And anyway, it worked great on race day, except that little piece of tape I picked up <laughs> on the, the way back. Anything else you want to talk about today? Can't think of anything. All right. Well, I've got a scripture to share today. This is from Colossians. It's the third chapter, starting at verse 14. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.